<clears throat> well, good morning. I'm Pastor Allen. We're glad that you're here. Uh, everybody's laughing because you know somebody like that. Nothing personal though, right? Uh, we're in a new series. Picked a good Sunday to come. We're starting uh, a series of three or four weeks on the topic of dressing the mess. Today's topic is the mess in the mirror. <clears throat> we're going to start off with a term that most of you probably have heard. And uh, it's this term here, hot mess. And uh, does anybody know the history of that term? Nobody did in the first service. Goes back to about 1880, <laughs> believe it or not. How many military, ex-military folks we got? All right, a couple. All right, back in the 1880s, or 90s, it, this term was referred to, mess was food, right? So hot mess would be a hot meal. So in the military, when you got a hot meal, they refer to it as a hot mess, as opposed to cold food, okay? So that's how the origination. Then back about 50 years ago, I don't know, World War II or Vietnam War, one of those, again, a military term, it got to refer to a, like a firefight, all right? So a firefight was described as a hot mess. You got in a mess and it was, you know, uh, intense. And so it was described as a hot mess. But most of you didn't know that, did you? Most of you, when you hear that term, what do you think? You think of somebody that's uh, kind of disheveled and kind of, you know, um, kind of a little off. Yet they, they seem to be able still to carry on and to function. And there's something endearing and almost attractive about it, isn't it? Um, so when we use that word today, it's kind of a, a, a compliment in, in some respects. Um, so, hot mess, is that your goal, my goal? I don't know. Uh, we're going to talk about messes. We're going to talk about all kinds of messes. We're going to talk about financial messes, you know. Sometimes we get in financial messes, we spend money we don't have, uh, get behind on some of our bills, whatever it might be. Financial mess, <clears throat> could be a family a relational mess, uh, conflict with some other folks. It could be a uh, health, hot mess in your health, where you've got some serious health issue going on. So you're, in that respect, your life is a mess. It could be <clears throat> professionally at your job or some people, folks here are in school. Maybe it's at school, you're in a mess with your grades at a certain class or your boss at work. Uh, you might be married to a mess. Um, sometimes people warn, especially ladies, you know that you know what you, you know what you're getting into. And ladies, more so than men, you marry folks like that. Why? Because you want to fix them, right? You want to fix them. My wife fixed me over the years, but anyway, uh, you might be married to a mess. You might have married into a mess. You know, you got a great spouse, but you don't marry just the person. You marry a whole family, don't you? And the messes go involved. You may be dating a mess. And you might know it's a mess. Or she or he is a mess. But maybe dating a mess is better than not dating at all. I don't know. That's, you, I, it's been a long time since I've dated. So I don't know about that. Um, <clears throat> maybe you're parenting a mess. And some of you got your kids in here. Don't nod your heads. Okay. Uh, some of you kids, your parents are a mess. And, you know, nobody's perfect, so, you know, we use the word dysfunction. We're all a little dysfunctional, right? So the reality is life is messy, right? Because people are messy. And we often say that ministry is messy because it involves people. 
So here's some good news. All right. There's always someone whose life is a bigger mess than yours, right? Now, that's actually not really good news. That's kind of mean, right? So, no, here's some good news. Good news is, it's not just you. You know, you screwed up your finances. Well, other people screwed up their finances. We got a uh, uh, thing coming up in a couple of weeks. We can help you with that. We teach a class. We can help you with that. Uh, you got a relational mess. You can get counseling, help with that. Um, We've all been through difficulties in relationships. We all had health issues or people we love have health issues. Uh, parenting is tough. Being a kid is tough. It's all tough, right? <clears throat> so this is something that unites us. Messes, right? <laughs> they unite us. <clears throat> now, when we approach messes, our messes and other people's messes, we kind of have an option of either being a student or a critic, and I would suggest you critics not the right way to go. Uh, you know, why did you do that stupid thing? Why did you do that stupid thing with your finances? You should have been smarter than that. Why did you get in that relationship? You should have been smarter than that. That's being a critic. That's not helpful. And uh, since we're all in this together, it unites us, we should be a student. And the interesting thing is when you're a student of messes, people's messes, when you hear somebody's story, when you, when you can tell they're messy and their relationship's messy or finances are messy, when you hear their story, your attitude usually changes, doesn't it? And I know, but for me, I think, well, I'd be a bigger mess than you if I, if I had to deal with that person, if I had that financial or, or that health situation. And as a pastor, I'm always imagining what the church could be. And some of you are not really too big on church. And one of the reasons is because you've seen the church get this wrong. That you had a mess and the church wasn't helpful. In fact, they were more critical than helpful. You say, that's what church can be like. I don't want anything to do with it. What if we just got this right? Now, we've been talking about worry and stress. And we ended up on Matthew, into Matthew chapter 6 last week. Jesus spends 10 verses talking about worry, and he ends up saying, don't worry about tomorrow, it'll take care of itself. Does anybody know, and if you're in the first service, don't raise your hand. Does anybody know what chapter 7, the Bible wasn't written in chapters, we just divided it up that way. What is the next thing Jesus talks about? Anybody know? It wasn't here in first service? It's pretty famous. In fact, a lot of unchurched people know this verse. It says, don't judge other people unless you want to be judged. You ever heard that one? That's exactly the next thing Jesus addresses after worry. And then a couple verses down, he, he says something. I'm going to paraphrase for you. He says, yank the plank. And he's talking about, when you're worried about other people's messes, look in the mirror. Look at your mess. It's like a plank. Take care of that. Deal with that first. Then maybe you have opportunity to pull the speck out of somebody else's eye. Another thing about this commonality we have with messes is often we need help to get out of the mess. We need a financial counselor, a financial class. We need a counselor. We need medical professionals. We need somebody to help us out. <clears throat> so here's something Christians believe. Christians believe the mess that brings us together is the mess that brought God near. And if you're not a Jesus follower or not into the whole God thing, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're listening or watching. 
But as Christians, we believe that the mess that brings us together, all this commonality we have, brought God near. We have this really famous verse in the Bible, uh, John 3, 16. For God so loved the mess. God so loved messy people. The Bible verse actually says the world, but the world is made up of messy people. So God so loved the messy people of the world that he sent his only son to suffer and die. He sent his son to address the mess. It's like if you've got a mess at your house, you call, <laughs> hire somebody to address it. Well, Jesus addressed our mess. Now, the fascinating thing was in the first century, people were surprised by Jesus. He, he wasn't what they expected. In the first century, when people thought of gods, what they thought of was a, somebody that would strike them with lightning bolts. Someone was out to get them, to judge them, to condemn them, to play with them. And people were afraid of God or their concept of God. And Jesus comes along with a whole different perspective and attitude. He said, I didn't come to condemn the world. That's the next verse after John 3.16, John 3.17. He said, I didn't come for that reason. And he came to show us, and we use this word in church a lot, grace. That means, we're not going to get you what you deserve. You, you screwed up, you deserve to be punished. No, 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 no. We're going to give you what you don't deserve. We're going to give you a solution. We're going to help you out of your mess. So consequently, Christians believe, something else we believe, that the mess is a lens a way to focus through which we discover God. And we're going to look at something by that guy by the name of Paul wrote that he just explains this to us, kind of an argument for how we discover God through our messes. Now, Paul was this guy that was really religious. He was a Jew. He was actually a Pharisee. That means he was a really Jewish Jew. <laughs> he was a full-time Jew. He was really smart. And he was passionate about Judaism. And then Jesus comes along and starts this movement, Christianity we call it, the way. And he just thought it as, as a, a ripoff of, of Judaism. And so consequently, he made it his life mission to wipe the church out. And I never understand why in the name of, of religion, either Christianity or Muslim, whatever, that adheres to the Ten Commandments while you would kill people that don't believe like you do. Because one of those Ten Commandments says not to do that, right? So he actually went around imprisoning and actually killing people, followers of the way. And then one day he had this dramatic encounter with God. And so he became a Jesus follower. And so he was as passionate about following Jesus as he was about Judaism. And I always tell people... When you find somebody who's passionately an atheist, they're the people you want to talk to. Because when they find God, they're passionate about God. So Paul started all these churches. He was like the first big-time missionary. And then he would write letters to these churches. And these letters were so cherished and so uh, important that people made copies of them and kept them. And part of our Bible are letters that this guy by the name of Paul wrote to these churches. So we're going to look at one he wrote. We call it Romans because it was written to the church in Rome. And we're going to pick it up in chapter 3, verse 19. And so we're picking it up in the middle of, of the discussion here. He says, obviously then, the law applies to those to whom it was given. So what does that mean? What is he talking about? Well, 
we live in the United States. We're subject to the laws of the United States. Uh, we went on a trip in France uh, last fall. In fact, we were there this time last year. <laughs> uh, and when we're, you're in France, you're subject to the laws of France, not the United States. Uh, we can think about it statewide. In, in Maryland, uh, we're subject to the laws of Maryland. Some of you live in Pennsylvania. You're subject to the laws of Pennsylvania, not subject to the laws in Maryland. We can think about it countywide. Uh, most of my things that I built, the like church and my houses and stuff, are in Washington County. Well, you go to Frederick County, you go to Pennsylvania, the building codes are different. The laws are different. You're subject to different laws. So I can do something building here that you can't do or vice in Pennsylvania or vice versa. So that's all he's saying. There are laws that apply in certain situations. Some of you have had jobs. You have laws at your job. Some of you go to school. You got to obey the rules of your school. I don't have to obey the rules of your school. I don't go to your school. So all make sense, everyone? He says, okay, the law applies to the ones that were given. Now, for most of us, if you're Jesus followers, uh, for Paul, originally it was the Old Testament. For us Jesus followers, it's Jesus. And he said, treat other people the way God has treat, treated us, being gracious, for example. Even if you're not a religious person or a Jesus follower, uh, you have some kind of standard or some kind of ethic or some kind of law that you adhere to, that you consider this is right and this is wrong, all right? We call it our conscience, okay? And we all feel accountable to the laws. <clears throat> I'm accountable to the laws of the United States, the laws of Maryland, <clears throat> as a Christian, laws of Jesus. <clears throat> I'm accountable. The problem is we all mess up, Right? I haven't always kept the laws of the United States or the laws of Maryland or the laws, of, especially the laws of Jesus, right? And so when I mess up, what do I think if I don't actually say it? Well, nobody's perfect, right? That's true. That's a true statement. But those of you who are married, when your spouse messes up, and I used to tell my wife, that, I'm, I'm not perfect. That really helped the situation. Doesn't help the situation, does it? And you're using it as, as a cop-out or as an excuse or not take responsibility for the fact that you've messed up. But here's the important thing about when you and I say that. When you say nobody's perfect, you're really saying there's a perfect that nobody is. You're, you, you're saying there's a standard, there's an ethic, there's a perfect that I'm not meet, meeting or reaching. Whether it's in my marriage or whether my parenting or whether in my following Jesus or just a citizen of this world there's a standard there's a perfect standard and I don't make it I don't reach it I fall short that's a situation we're all in right we all mess up even if it's just our conscience so constantly it goes on so for its purpose this law or your conscience is to keep people from having excuses and to show that the entire world is guilty before God. Now, if you only leave the guilty part out, uh, before God, you still have no excuse. I have this standard, my conscience, or I have this law of the land or of, of Jesus. I know what it is, and I don't, I don't reach it. I don't adhere to it. I fall short. I mess up. Consequently, I have no excuse. It 
silences me. Yep, that's it, and I didn't do it. Now, that's the fascinating thing. The purpose of the law, then, is not, so, okay, I'm going to do better next time. I mean, hopefully you try, but you're not going to do it. The purpose of the law is to say, hey, you have no excuse. And, I, and ultimately, I have no excuse. You have no excuse. <coughs> excuse me. So, when we look in the mirror, we see a mess. I've fallen short. I'm not the parent I should be. I'm not the spouse I should be. Whatever. I'm not the financial uh, I haven't handled my finances. I haven't handled my health like I should. I have no excuse. I can't. Ex- I'm not eating well. I'm not exercising. I have no excuse. I, I, I did that. I treated my wife badly. I, I, I have no excuse. None of us have an excuse. So he goes on. Now, dealing with the, on the God part, he says, no one can ever be made right with God but doing what the law commands. Because you can't. We, we can't keep it. We all fall short. We all mess up. So consequently, there's this problem between us and God. Because he's got this law. It's like you break a law uh, 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 in our county or state. or You know, you could be locked up, right? Well, he said, we, we can't make it right. The law simply shows us how sinful we are or how messed up we are. Even if you could... From today on, keep the law. Do everything perfect. What about all the mess-ups we've already had? And one reason some of you don't like to read your Bible and some of you don't like to come to church is because we hear the standard. We're reminded of what? That we're a mess. That we've messed up. That we've fallen short of this standard. And do you like to be reminded? Do you like your spouse or your parents saying, hey, you messed up again? Nobody likes to be reminded. I don't know what that, what is that for you? A little uncomfortable. But what is that for you? What is that that you know you're not, what standard, part of your life is your standard you're not reaching? Is it in your parenting? Is it children with your parents? Is it in your finances? Is it in your health? What is it? And, and when we, and we think about those things, it becomes a little depressing, for me anyway, because whatever that is, I don't know about you, but for me, it's often the same thing. It's been going on for years and years, and I, it's a bad habit I have, it's some addiction I have, it's some problem I have, and I just can't fix it. But nobody's perfect. So I can't fix it. I keep fallen short, I keep messing up. Is there any hope? Is there a solution? Well, not in what, keeping the law, because can't do that, right? So, Paul says, yeah, 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 yeah. Hang in there, hold on. Here we, what he says. God, now God has shown us a way. There is a way, there's a solution. Good news, right? To be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law, because I can't do that anyway, so that's frustrating. As was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. So this promise that we can do it without keeping the law. See the law wasn't to get to God. The law was hey this is the best way to live. But there is a way. And he goes on. We are made right with God by not keeping the law. Because can't do that. By placing our faith in Jesus Christ. Whole different concept. It's not about doing, but it's about believing. This is true for everyone who believes, no matter who you are. 
So no matter how fall, fall, far we've fallen, how much we've messed up, little bit or whole bunch, doesn't matter. It's the same for all of us. And here's a verse that some of you will recognize. For everyone has sinned, messed up, fallen short, whatever standard you want to call it. Certainly fallen short of God's glorious standard because God's standard is perfection. And to be honest, we all fall short of our own standard. I don't know what your standard is if you're married, what your standard is for being a spouse. But we all met, don't, don't reach it, right? We don't always do what we think we should do. Certainly as parents, we all know we fall short, right? Uh, as kids, we all fall short of obeying our parents. As Jesus followers, those of us who are, we all know we fall short in that area of our lives. So I wrote this on your outline. Awareness of our messes awakens us to something outside us which we are accountable. And again, it's not to try harder. You, you can't. I mean, you can try harder, but you still can't do it. So I want to share a couple things that a, a guy by the name of C.S. Lewis wrote. And some of you have heard of him. Uh, he lived uh, down, he was working, he was a college professor around World War II. Um, you probably, most of you probably know him because like The Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. He wrote some fantasy books. He was actually friends with Tolkien who wrote The Hobbit stuff. So most of you know that stuff. Anyway, he wasn't a believer as an adult. He, wasn't, he was an atheist, actually. And he wrote a little book. Actually, it was radio programs. He wrote it in a book called Mere Christianity. And he explains how, as an atheist, he was observing the world and came to be first a theist, believer in God, and then later a Christian. And he's a real smart guy, and it's a little hard to follow, but I think it'll help us understand what Paul is saying about this uh, mess that, that we all have. So uh, he talks about, he watched people quarreling. We don't use that word much anymore. Fighting, bickering, arguing, okay? He'd watch two people arguing, and he says, no matter what they're arguing about, whatever, you know, whatever standard they have, Nobody argues that there shouldn't be a standard. There shouldn't be an ethic. There shouldn't be a right and wrong. They might disagree about it being what, what is right and wrong, but nobody argues that there's no, there should be no right and wrong. So here's the way he said it. Never or rarely will you hear someone in a quarrel say, well, the, he didn't use the word heck, but anyway, the heck with your standard. Uh, we don't. It doesn't even enter our mindset. It doesn't enter the argument. We may argue what the standard is, but we don't argue there should be a standard. He said, where did that come from? So this got him thinking. He's not, a, he's not a Christian at this point. He's not even a believer in God. But why do people agree there's a standard? If I created it, I could get rid of it, right? Say, no, there isn't going to be any standards. But nobody can do that. Why is that? And then he uses a physical law example, a law of physics. The law of gravity tells you what stones do if you drop them. I could get here and drop a stone 10 times, 100 times, 1,000 times, do the same thing every time, right? It'll fall. It won't go this way. It won't go that way. It'll go this way because of the law of gravity. How many of you have ever been on an airplane? How did you dare get in that airplane? 
because the laws of aerodynamics, right? That keeps the plane up. All of a sudden, one day, the law of aerodynamics isn't going to stop, is it? And all the planes crash. So there's all these natural laws that you can trust. You know that's going to be the same. Except that's in the physical realm. They're consistent. But what about in human relationships? But the law of human nature tells you what human beings ought to do. You know, airplanes ought to fly, but they don't in human nature. And so again, he's not a believer at this point. He's thinking, why is that? Where did that come from? What is that? That we all have the sense there's got to be a standard. And he says this is true in all cultures of the world. Uh, Next slide. Human beings all over the earth have this curious idea they ought to behave in a certain way. It could be different in different places, but there's always this standard ethic. And they can't really get rid of it. You can't just say, no, there's no right and wrong. Why is that? Why is it, as a human, I cannot say there's no right and wrong? There's some kind of built-in ethic in every human being. Why is that? Again, he's thinking, this is crazy. It was driving him crazy as an unbeliever. And then he says, there is something above and beyond the ordinary facts of men's behavior. There's got to be something above, beyond, more than this. Where this ethical standard comes from. And yet, quite definitely, a real law. So he's calling this a law of right and wrong, if you better term. Which none of us made. Nobody made it up. But we all find pressing on us. We all have a sense of right and wrong. Even though we didn't create it. So it's, it's, a, it's a, like a, a natural law, but it's a law of human nature. I call it the pressure of conscience. You know, we start to feel bad because I didn't do what I should have done or I did what I shouldn't have done, right? Now, it's, as religious people, we call that sin, but it's a, it's a pressure of conscience, or we call it conviction. But it's a pressure of conscience. And what Paul is saying, what C.S. Lewis is saying is that is God. And that is not God condemning God. It's not the God that's going to send a lightning bolt at you. This is the gracious God. So he created us with his right and wrong and none of us can do it. So God. Remember? So God. So once we acknowledge our messes, we are, C.S. Lewis said this, a baby step away from acknowledging God. And that's exactly what happened to him. So whether it's a financial mess, a relationship mess, with your spouse, your kids, or girlfriend, boyfriend, whether a health mess, a work mess, school work mess, whatever it might be. So let's get back to one more verse and we'll be finished here in a, in a couple minutes. Uh, next thing Paul says, yet God. We all have this ought, this right and wrong and that we don't, and we don't do the right all the time. In his grace, there's that word again, and grace means freely makes us right in his sight. Okay. I've messed up. Can't fix it. God says, okay, I, I got this. <laughs> I got this. I'll send Jesus to die, take your place, pay your debt, so you go free. Boy, you don't get much, many deals like that, do you? Most of the time I say, it's too good to be true. It's not true, right? 
In this case, it is true. It's greater, better than true. Paid the penalty for our sins so we could be set free. This is what caused C.S. Lewis to become a believer. This ought that nobody can create and nobody can get rid of. He attributed it to a higher other or, or to God. Now, that's all kind of intellectual stuff, right? So I want to give you something practical here at the end. <clears throat> the moral of the story. We all have something in common. We are all messes, maybe even a hot mess, right? We all mess up. Now, here's the kind of uncomfortable th- truth about that. That means you have something in common with the person you like the least. Maybe even a person you despise. I don't know who that would be for you. Abuser of children. Uh, guy who wrote Amazing Grace, he was a slave trader. Maybe it's a group of people. Some people have a hard time with rich people or poor people or uneducated people or really smart people. or I don't know who it is. But instead of being judgmental of that group of people or that person, you have something in common with it. And that's to silence you and your judgment and my judgment because we're all mess-ups. So here's your homework, and I'm going to ask you about this next week, all right? Every time you get that judgmental thought in your mind, whatever group of people that is or person that might be, here's what I want you to say. You can actually say it out loud if you want to. I know a mess when I see one, and when you're judgmental somebody, you're, you're saying they're a mess, but because I am one. Can we say that together? I know a mess when I see one because I am one. That was a little weak, guys. Let's do it one more time, all right? (laughs) I know a mess when I see one because I am one. So that's your homework assignment this week, all right? And uh, let me pray with you. We'll have a final song let you go. Hope you can join us. uh, We continue this series addressing the mess. Thank you, God. The fact that we made a mess, too big a mess to fix ourselves, so you fixed it for us, or potentially fixed it for us. And the way we get in on that is by faith or believing. <clears throat> it's not by doing. Because we would do some same old, same old. We would mess up some more. We thank you for, we call it grace, you call it grace. You give us this free thing that we don't deserve, a relationship with you. Uh, God, I don't want to pray for anybody that, that isn't a Jesus follower at this point. Maybe like C.S. Lewis, you're trying to figure it all out. That maybe today's the day you step across the line. Say, yeah, that all made sense to me. And um, yeah, it's, it's, it's got to be a God thing. And I can't fix it. Thank you, Jesus. You can fix it for me. Uh, God, we thank you for any of the folks making that decision or any other decision as it relates uh, to the relationship with you and with others. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.